This is The Future Of, where experts share their vision of the future and how their work is helping shape it for the better. Kaya, I'm Jessica Morrison. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have had a deep connection with the land, or Buja as it's known in the Noongar language, for more than 60,000 years. What you're about to hear is a panel discussion bringing together Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal perspectives on how ancient knowledge of the environment can be used to restore and conserve our land for future generations. Hosted at the stunning Western Australian Museum, Bulabadup, the talk was part of Curtin University's annual research rumble event, a week-long series of talks that showcased the future-focused research coming out of the university. Renowned botanist Professor Kingsley Dixon, director of the Australian Research Centre for Mindsight Restoration, is your MC. Tonight, there are two parts. The first part is about hearing country. The second part is about healing country. And in hearing country, it is about what we can learn and we listen to the Indigenous voices. So we have a panel of uh, distinguished people to come forward. And uh, I'd like to invite Stephen Van Leeuwen, already introduced him as uh, a remarkable professor, the remarkable Vivian Hansen, who's the owner-operator of uh, Binyan's Bush Medicine. I use her products. It's fabulous. Get one of her orders over there. <laughs> Wonderful lady. Oral Maguire, oral best-looking Noongar on the planet. <laughs> Noongar, director of the Noongar Chamber of uh, Commerce and Industry, and Heidi Mippy, the delightful and elegant Heidi Mippy, Southwest Aboriginal Land and Sea Council Managing Director 4x4 Dreaming and Director of the GDGD Aboriginal Women's Corporation. So we've got a very short period of time to encapsulate 60,000 years of knowledge and experience. Um, so it's really, really unfair, but I think this group are, are really up to it. And um, I think what I'm... The, the way we'd like to approach it is to ask Stephen to pose the question as we go forward in restoring the 48% of this continent that we have degraded almost irrevocably in 200 years, the Indigenous solutions are paramount to that. And what, what are those Indigenous solutions going to look like? So a few words from you. Well, he lost him. <laughs> so um, I'll start by saying always was, always will be. That I've got three phrases that I keep referring back to, and that is one of them. Um, and the longer my career goes on, the more adamant I get about putting that message out there, not only to my research colleagues, but to my family and friends, um, and to the numerous boards and committees I sit on, particularly in Canberra, reinforcing the fact that this has always been our country and it always will be. And from that perspective, you know, we want to continue the stewardship of country that we've been doing for 65,000 years plus, and we want to take control of that self-determination and we want to lead that and be Indigenous-led rather than 
um, be participants on a journey that is being led by someone else. So to me, you know, getting country back into good condition and the opportunities that presents to our mob, whether it be Noongar, Yamaji, um, people in the Kimberley, Wongai, um, people at Kirikura, whatever. It's about getting back onto our country and being able to manage and look after our country the way we want to. And in so doing, there are lots of opportunities for business development, but also for improving the well-being of ourselves and our communities and the well-being of the general community and addressing, helping address the challenges of climate change, of fragmentation, of threatened species and ecological communities. The Aboriginal Australians, Torres Strait Islanders, have a lot to offer in that space. And at the moment, we are looking in, we're getting better at being engaged in it, but we want to lead it. We want it to be Indigenous-led. And Healing Country proposal at Curtin and other programs at Curtin are very much pushing that, and other programs that Curtin are affiliated with are very much in that space. Heidi, um, <laughs> you thought you'd get away with it. Um, a one-minute perspective on Stephen's comment and your sense of country, and or two minutes, five minutes. How's this microphone on? Yes, talk nice and loud. Now I've got to pretend I was listening to Stephen. No, I was. Um, Two-minute perspective. Well, I guess the biggest takeaway for me from that and what resonates the most is the spiritual connection to country um, that is most often um, underrated and overlooked um, by other research or scientific knowledge. And certainly what drives me is um, our spiritual connection to country and country's connection to us. Fabulous. Oral. Same question. Same question. Uh, Kaya. Technology. I think the, um, the, the thing for me, you know, continuing on from what Heidi's been saying is uh, our spirituality is, is so deep and this wonderful exhibition here um, uses technology uh, and words and, um, you know, the graphics and the stories to, to capture it. But you've got to understand the depth of that. We, we, uh, every time I speak, I, I, I now start to remind people, don't just talk about 65,000 and not fully understand how big that number is. So for me, it's the, uh, you know, biodiversity is the manifestation of our spirit. So if we're going to heal country, then the healing of country uh, really needs to be led, as Stephen said, by Nyunga and Aboriginal people as the custodians, because the custodians and the power of the land, including this land we sit on right here, is, is held in the knowledge that Aboriginal people have and have always had, and we've still got it. Nyungar people don't own 98% of our lands, but we know, and everybody knows, and the government have recognised the, through the Recognition Act, 
that this is Nyungabuja and we are the custodians. So the leading of it is absolutely not about the economics. It's not about the science. It's about the spirit. And it's spirit that differentiates our world and our connection and our understanding of what this project is premised on that, that makes it more critical for the science world and the commercial and corporate and political and legal worlds to understand that if we're going to have a chance at saving Buja, then on this land here, the Nyunga people must lead. Great. Thank you very much. Very wise words. Viv Hansen, yes. your words. Yes. Hi, Nichinga Nyunga Yoga Good evening, everyone. Proud and happy to be here on Wajak Country. Our heart, our spirit, our blood is embedded deep in this land. We have been a part of it since the beginning of time. Scientists say 65,000 years, I think, we've been here since the world was created and our people managed to look after the land. We had scientists, we had astronomers, but they had different names and they knew what time to move, what time to harvest, what time to go fishing or whatever. It was all just passed down. And I always say that, our people that didn't have these buildings called universities or whatever, we must have been the smartest people in the world because they didn't need a book to learn. You had to knit, you had to listen to the courage and to the knowledge that was being passed down to you, otherwise you'd lose it. And more, my husband and I, we go tree planting every year with a group called Activate the Wheat Belt. And they're planting like 20,000, 30,000 trees over a weekend. And I said to Mort, why we got to go, you know? And he said, because we help clear the land. I said, well, our people had no choice. They had to clear the land to make a living. And when you go back to country, to I grew up in Brookton and I walked the bush with my old aunties and um, cousins, my grandmother before she passed on. So we knew what foods to look for at certain times of the year. We knew when the rains were coming. We could tell by the signs. So there's so much knowledge that has been lost, but the four of us sitting here and a lot of the elderly Noongar people, they still have that. And I think it's long overdue that we start to engage with each other so that we can start caring for the land. I mean, there's nothing more exhilarating than getting up when it's raining and you're out in the bush. And you can actually smell the bush. You can smell the eucalyptus. You can smell the earth. And you can hear the birds sing. And what's more beautiful than our country when the wildflowers are blooming? Doesn't that colour just brighten you up? And all the different shapes of those bushes, doesn't it lift your spirits? We live in a wonderful country. We have to take care of it. And with science... And Noongar Karajan, I think we'll get there. Thank you very much, Vivian. Now, I'd like to ask the audience, we've got a roving mic. You've heard some commentary. You've heard where we're, 
where we wish to go. Are there questions and comments to the distinguished panel? Well, I, I have one. I think the challenge as a kid growing up in the bush was that I knew, I knew the, the local Aboriginal people, but we divorced the Western and the Indigenous science one from another. During my PhD, I actually worked with Indigenous people up near a place called Canna, up the north, some really interesting sites up there. And then I started to realise that there was, in this, in fact, this entire library of information that we didn't know about. I guess the challenge is getting that information before it's lost and how, what is the best methods for us to have this joint new journey going forward under the leadership of you guys? So, Oral, you're already operating businesses in that space, so you can see those joining of knowledge. Yeah, we've got a uh, mantra with the Noongar Land Enterprise Group, um, and we, we've developed all of our models um, for our governance as well as our enterprise and business development around two key aspects. One is that we do things that are culturally appropriate and and, and the other part is uh, commercially focused. And I think they're, sometimes they are two of the most difficult uh, areas to, 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 to hold and to up, uphold if, you, if you're thinking about uh, the integrity of both. Um, so operating around good governance uh, and the way we make decisions corporately, um, but our product developments, our knowledge and how we utilise uh, that, that sacred knowledge that we do still hold and still do have access to um, are critical parts of, of I guess, the, the integrity that, that we as Noongar, contemporary Noongar and Aboriginal people and leaders want to build in terms of the models and the structures for... Because our old people, we know that our old fellows knew so much uh, and they needed... Everything they need to know, they knew. Mm. And as Viv said, it was held in the songs, it was held in the language. Our language holds codes that only the speakers of that language fully can understand. So the, the wisdom and the sacredness of that knowledge uh, are held in language. And, and I want to thank my our granddaughter for the, the beautiful welcome. And, and I think in those songs, in those words uh, and those phrases that were used, we capture and, and we hold the spirit. We, you know, we say in our family that when we speak language, we sing to country, mm. and country vibrates. Now, no one else can do that. So that vibration is a metaphysical thing, but it's, it, that's the power of it. And so understanding that that's what we as Noongar people and knowledge holders of a sacred, of the first world, we are first world cultures. All Indigenous groups around the world speak of themselves as First Nations and they refer to us as First World nations and cultures. So we were doing things, as Viv said, long before the Greeks and the Romans and the, you know, the, the Egyptians and so on. Um, and yet we struggle in this country. On this land here, uh, the Noongar people are the most impoverished still. So uh, the things that we want to build, we, we, I am very... I am getting more dogged and I am actually getting angry yeah. because I, I get sick of seeing mantra statements or motherhood statements of, 
of, of Aboriginal engagement. I heard it today again from a senior minister and I get sick of that. Mm. So for me, my part, I will be making you accountable uh, and Curtin University Thank to the, the wisdom and the strength and the, the, the power of the knowledge that we bring. Mm. We bring a knowledge that connects us right back to the first. But we also need help. We need help to heal. Country needs healing and country needs us to be strong. Yeah. Because if yeah. we've got, if our, if our people are Winyan, Mindich and unwell as we are, because we still die young, yeah. uh, the knowledge that is held, and we have lost so many people in the settlement time, the 20 years that we've been waiting patiently for our Noongar settlement, we have lost thousands of knowledge holders. So we don't have time. The environment and the climate change is impacting on us in ways where we are running out of time. So the trajectory for that emergency is sitting there. Mm. Yeah. And we yeah. need Curtin University, we need guys, powerful guys like you, Kingsley, to act. Yeah, fabulous. Heidi, um, Western science and Western philosophy has suddenly discovered this thing called, and we'll hear a bit about it, eco-health, the value of nature. Heidi, you've spoken, as Viv has spoken, about you know, the spirit of the land. Bringing that into the space of restoring and creating the Buja again, your feelings as one of the youngest people on the panel, <laughs> the youngest person on the panel? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was listening to Oral speak then and, and now with your question, and it takes me back to the younger generation, um, you know, our kids. I've got a year 12 daughter um, who's 16, um, and I, I can't help but um, have an aching heart for the loss of spirit among our younger generation. But what I know, and I know through my own experience as a young 41-year-old, and through my daughters, is the minute that we're out on country and on healthy country of which we belong to, um, no matter what uh, trauma we have been through or, or experience we've had, um, everyone's heart sinks. Yeah. And we connect to, they connect to their old people and I connect to my old people and our old people. And I mean, I have a lifetime of community development experience, but what I see on country, when, particularly when young people also can engage in uh, working on country, is amazing wellbeing and mental health solutions. I think our mental health programs are heavily funded, but we kind of need to shift a little bit and now start thinking about Buja and mental health and wellbeing and, and recognise the impacts that that does have for all of us. And like mm. Oral said, for me, uh, if I'm not strong, I can't be strong for my kids, so I have to get out bush all the time because <laughs> yeah. I have teenagers, um, and then I need to get them out there. So opportunities to do that is limited, uh, and when you go to country that is sick, uh, and you, if you've been out to Oral's farm and you see um, the difference that they've made there, um, country and spirit starts to talk to you uh, a lot louder, doesn't it? And you see more and you feel more and... And you just don't want to leave. You just kind of camp and squat out on the farm and not come back to the city. So, Yeah, fantastic. Um, we've got just five minutes, so if you've got a, any burning questions, Gita Sonnenberg, please, in the front. Yeah. Oh, this is being podcast, so we need the microphone. I think it's on. 
working? Can you hear me? Yes, speak up. Yeah, I have a question for you, uh, Heidi. Um, because uh, it's sometimes hard uh, for me to really get the idea of, uh, of spirit and of healthy country or ill country. So what is the difference? Can you describe almost like, like pretend I'm a toddler, <laughs> you know, yeah. or maybe not a toddler, but someone who really doesn't know. What, what does healthy country look like or feel like? And I've also asked Viv to chime in after you as well. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Heidi first. Yeah, thank you. I want to say that healthy country gives off a greater vibration and it speaks louder. And when it does that, even wadulas can are forced to feel and listen, right? So people who maybe go and sit in Kings Park have a connection that they feel and we feel things also in different ways. But, but I'm going to just confuse everything and say that country that isn't healthy also speaks and sings us there and demands that we take action to heal it, its spirit and our spirit. <laughs> so I've probably confused um, everyone with that answer. No, but I hope that helps. It's probably not toddler level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Viv? Well, like most of us Noongar fellows, we all like to go out bush, those of us who live in the city. And going out bush is going out bush where there is bush, where there's green trees. And you see the kangaroos hopping, you see the animals um, hopping around. There's a lot of places where you go to, you don't see the animals because the bush is not healthy. And I did six months seed collecting up at Canna a few years ago. Ah. Right. Yes. And the only thing that saddened me was um, collecting Indian sandalwood nuts in Australia. Though there was Australian sandalwood growing there and all the different types of acacia and saltbush. And the farms were, um, they're really, um, how can I put it? They're just um, been cleared so badly. There's a lot of... Um, soil erosion, etc. So there's nothing growing on there. There's no bird life. There's no animal life. And so you feel that, you know, with our connection to the land, we feel that. And when we go out bush, we make the kids take their shoes off. We take our shoes off. So they're embedding their feet in our nark, in our mother. We call earth our mother. And the sun is our mother. And the moon is the sun's sister, they take care of us. And the sea, we call that Marmangurup, he's father. And when he comes in, his waves, they come in like the beat of your heart. You stand on the, on the ocean sand and you put your hand on your heart and you count the waves coming in and it'll be in tune to your heart. That's how you get connected spiritually. You go and stand along the river and you look in that river and you look around, you close your eyes and you hear the wind whistling through the breeze, through those trees. There are certain trees that we sit under when our spirit is down. We have to sit under that tree. We don't cut that tree down. We don't even take a branch off it. We just sit under that. And they say when the needles fall on us from this tree because it's um, a she-oak tree, we call it the quell tree, when those needles fall on us, we're told that's the tears of our old people healing us. 
And when you hear the breeze whisper through that, that's old people singing to us to heal us. So country is really important. We, I take my grannies out and I do, I do bush medicine. And I grew up learning about the bush and then I forgot all about it, took my kids to the doctor like everybody else did. And then I came to start to care for my mother-in-law, went and did a course at um, Marmorich called um, Bush and Western Herbal Medicine. And it was like, you know, when those slot machines go off at the casino when you win a lot of money, that was happening in my brain. It was like ding, 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 ding. And my mum was still living, my mother-in-law, a lot of my older cousins, and I said, I think I might like to write a book about bush medicine, Noongar bush medicine. And the response I got from my female relatives was, well, you better get onto it soon, little girly. Took me about four years, and then a guy came and gave me a hand, the co-author, and it was amazing, all the memories that came back, all the smells about this flower, that flower, what we used it for. And it sort of also reconnected me with Mother Earth because when you're living in the city, you know, you're all caught up with this and that and you're out there protesting and um, just trying to get your feet on the ground, make a living, etc. But also when we go out bush, it's really difficult because, as Oral said earlier, you know, we don't own the land anymore. But we've always been told that the land owns us. Mm. We belong to the land. And it's very hard to take our kids out and show them because there's very little virgin bush left, even through the state forests. At the moment, we've got fires burning. Um, I call them the legal arsonists with their burning because what they don't realise is where they're burning every year, year in, year out, they're making plants extinct. You've got cockatoos that are coming into the city because there's no seeds left on the trees they're just black trunks up in the air wildflower season there's no wildflowers because they've burnt them continuously that even the seeds aren't able to stay in the ground to be regenerated so i think we've got a lot of lot of work to do and i've really enjoyed being here and you know sharing my thoughts with everyone and Let's take it further, and I think I'm running out of time. Well said, yeah. And Stephen, the last word, the value of biodiversity in the restoration agenda. Because uh, many people around the world, there's reforestation, tree planting programs, but it's more than that. It's the richness within, because that's what we're hearing about. Yeah, the richness within. And, yeah, some of that is really hard to quantify because it's about people's values. But, you know, in... Australia, 57% of the land mass has now been determined as part of the Indigenous estate, and that's only going to grow as more determinations are made and Indigenous land use agreements are settled. Um, over, in, in Western Australia at least, over 50%, it's 57% of the protected area estate is Indigenous owned in Indigenous protected areas. So we're hitting above, as a, you know, a, 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 a ethnic group, an ethnic minority perhaps, we're doing better than the state at conserving our state's flora and fauna. Mm. Mm. Um, although it's not recognised by the state because it's just treated as unallocated crown land unless they want to meet their Commonwealth and international targets. Um, and then in that land, there's threatened species that we are spending a lot of money on trying to protect and prevent from going extinct. And then 
on that land or adjacent to it, there's significant opportunities to return that country to a better state than it currently is. And those opportunities you know, present themselves in honey, sandalwood, biomuticals, uh, bio pharmaceuticals, um, Chanel and Baronia essence, things like that. And they're all great opportunities that are out there that our mob and also our neighbours on the other side of the fence can take advantage of if we look after country better and turn the trajectory around. Great. Thank you very much, Stephen. Great summary words. We've run out of time for our distinguished panel. Sorry, there's a question, a very quick question. Hello, um, my name is Danny and um, I'd like to acknowledge um, my family up there as well. Um, look, what you're saying very much resonates in what I am practising at the moment. Um, I'm currently working in mental health um, as a psychiatry registrar, soon to become consultant soon. But very much I think there's such an, um, a lack of um, acknowledgement how healing the land is, not only with our, um, our Noongar people, but also with non-Indigenous as well. I often will tell um, my patients as exactly what Nan Vivian, you mentioned, with going out into the land, taking your socks off, going into and feeling it. And it's that actual connectedness, instead of being disconnected, you are actually in, in you know, at that point in time present. Because I think at this point in time, our society is very much detached. But I think our land is very much healing for our spirit and also in turn, we're healing country, so I think it's phenomenal. That was beautifully said. Can you all join me in thanking this wonderful panel? And we'll have some questions right at the end. Thank you very much. While they're getting down, of course, um, we're discovering the value of Bush, the very expensive new kids' uh, walkway from the children's hospital across to Kings Park. Doesn't go to a lawn, doesn't go to a fancy pond. It actually goes into the bushland. So I think we're starting to discover that that's an important part of healing. Now, the next component is what we're calling the healing country. And we're going to ha have a research perspective from a, uh, four of our research and thinking leaders that fit into the restoration. And of course, the challenge is how we get this thinking to integrate with uh, the indigenous knowledge. And, and that's what we're now working on very uh, progressively. I'd like to invite to the podium uh, Adam Cross. He's a research fellow uh, in the School of Molecular and Life Sciences um, and also uh, is a director of the International Eco Health Network. So we have someone about the value of nature for human health. Renee Young, director of restoration at the WA Biodiversity Science Institute and also at Curtin University. And Dr. Uh, Simon Pedrini, who's uh, an ARC Centre for Mindsight Restoration Research Fellow and he works in the magical world of improving seed performance. So um, I'm going to ask each of them, I think that seat's for me, so I'm going to sit down at this point, um, to give their brief overview of their role as a scientist and how that might connect in 
to what we've now heard from uh, our distinguished Noongar group. Hi, um, it's an amazing, hum amazingly humbling experience to be sitting here uh, in front of not only such a distinguished audience, but an audience that represents more knowledge than I can possibly fathom over a longer period than I can possibly fathom. Um, and I've had the privilege of being able to work up in the Kimberley uh, over the last 10 or so years as a botanist, as a plant nerd, um, and I, I can only begin to understand this concept of a landscape singing, um, but you know, being able to walk around in the Kimberley, in the wilderness alone, and just hearing, as has been said, the, the bird life, the animal life, hearing the wind whistling through the trees, um, I would go so far as to say that I can imagine the history that has been a part of that land and that land being a part of that history over an immense time period and bringing that into the work that we do at Curtin uh, in the sense of conservation, restoration, ecology, I think is going to become increasingly fundamental. Um, as Kingsley's mentioned, um, I am lucky enough to be the science director for the International Group EcoHealth Network, um, and that's all about this concept of eco-health and eco-cultural restoration, considering people as part of nature, dependent upon nature, requiring of nature, not only for livelihoods, health, well-being, um, but also just intrinsically for having a good life. Um, and I think that what's really critical in this is that, yes, this is a relatively new field of science, uh, and it's a field for which Curtin and, and others in this healing country bid are hopefully going to be pioneering in the Western science space, but it's not a new concept, right? This is a concept which people here in Western Australia and all around the world have known about for a very, very long time. And so we're essentially reinventing the wheel, re-understanding or trying to um, develop a better understanding of how we can actually um, return to that sort of a lifestyle, return to understanding the key value and importance of nature and the world around us in our health and well-being, in our economic and our health um, uh, status. So I think that healing country, you know, there are many, many projects around the world that are indigenous-led. I think healing country is going to represent one of the foremost and one of the most important and one of the largest indigenous-led projects in that space. And I think that 10 years' time, five years' time, it's going to be a really exciting place to be for us. Thank you, Kingsley. Um, I'd just like to reiterate what, what Adam said at the start. It is a real privilege to be here representing Curtin today and to be having this conversation with this um, distinguished group. Uh, we do feel very honoured to, um, to be participating and, and being able to share our views. Uh, I guess my background um, in, in conservation and restoration started many years ago, even before I fully appreciated it. I, I grew up um, on a farm down south, and uh, even even in those years that I was um, living down there, I was I was there and I was able to witness um, the land changing, and 
And even though I'm, I'm not Indigenous, that, that still really affected me. And I think that, um, you know, that those changes that I observed when I was down there really drove me into the career that I'm in now, where it's, let's figure out how we can restore the land. Let's figure out how we can do it in a culturally appropriate manner and maintain the opportunities for Indigenous communities that they really need. Um, because, like Oral acknowledged, um, our Indigenous communities are some of the most impoverished um, people in, in Western Australia. So I think this, this proposal through Healing Country is a real opportunity for us to try to turn that around and work together to be able to find those solutions that, that make change. Right. Thank, thank you very much. An important part of going forward is, is some of the heavy duty science that we need. And although we don't have time tonight to go through some of uh, or all of those ones that, that uh, Curtin and, and other research institutions and uh, NGOs are doing, we thought we would give you a snapshot of one package of technology uh, that we, we're really leading in. And so I'll ask uh, Simon Pedrini to share a little bit of information about something that you all have in your pack. It's a funny little envelope, clear, with two little packets of seed. He's about to talk about those. They have not received the bag yet, so they don't know. <laughs> you will receive a pack at the end. You will. You will. So I guess what Kingsley was trying to talk about is this idea of native seeds and how important native seeds are to perform the restoration on the country. And as was said before, we, the Europeans, in 200 years, managed to create a, a level of uh, land destructions and disturbance that has been unprecedented in this country. And if you think at the scale, at the, how vast this area to be restored, and you start thinking about the amount of seeds that is needed to try to bring back even just a part of this ecosystem, you, you will realize we're falling way behind. There's a problem. There's simply not enough seeds to do it. Not in enough diversity, not enough quantity, and not in enough quality. There's lots of issues throughout the supply chain. One of these is that we rely entirely on collection of seeds from natural populations. We've got people going in the bush collecting seeds, but there's just not enough seeds in the bush to do so. And we've got a major issue that we cannot do restoration with that little seeds, and we might also damage the population while we're collecting the seed. So a way out of this is probably start to set up seed farming, start getting native seeds and produce them in a sustainable way so we can get much more seeds, they are much more cheaper and of better quality, so we can start delivering at this scale over the landscape. Another aspect of it is that we need to look into every step of this supply chain and start to look how can we can improve every step. We've got seed storage that needs to be improved, cleaning those seeds, uh, breaking the dormancy because some of the seeds are very hard to germinate. But the real breakthrough probably is going to happen, as Kingsley said, from seed technologies. Right now, if you see, if you think the diversity of flora you've got in WA, and you think of all the different sizes and shapes and complexity of native seeds, that is a real challenge to overcome when you try to seed hundreds of thousands of hectares. With this technology of seed coating, 
going to give a preview of what you'll find in your package. That's two seeds. This is kangaroo pearl, natural seed, and the one that we've treated, we've pelleted. With this technology, we can take all the seeds with different shapes and sizes and make them uniform of a single kind. So they can be delivered with agricultural equipment, like a canola seeder. And we can do it in huge scale, as we do in canola seeding right now. And this is just one aspect of it. We cannot put extra things in this pellet. We can put beneficial microbes that can return soil health and plant health to the country. So this is just an example of the research we are currently doing. But the idea of healing country and this technology that we're now developing is that we want to co-develop this technology with the indigenous enterprise, like the one of Oral, and try to bring this into a commercial reality and the real opportunity to give the indigenous community a key role in the restoration economy, if not their key role in the restoration economy. Right. Thank you very much. Yes, very well said. Yeah. Um, Renee, a question to you. Living on country, seeing the changes on country, your parents may have cleared the land. Do you get a chance to speak to them as, their, as your elders about the next journey? And, and what's their perception of that? And do they see the science and the Indigenous involvement as part of that? It's a very good question, Kingsley. Um, I, I, do, I do speak to my mum and dad about um, our, the history of our farm. Um, it, it wasn't them that cleared the land, but it was um, my, uh, my dad's grandfather who, who did, um, along with the other sort of colonisers of the, of the area. And, um, and, and now, through the, the current farming practices that they undertake, they know what's happening on the land. They've, Dad's been on the, that property his entire life and he's now 70. So, um, so he's seen the changes. I think what we are seeing is that farmers are very open to um, their scientists as well, you know. They learn year after year uh, how to improve their practice. And if something's not working on the land and they're not getting that product productivity or they're seeing increased salinity around the, uh, the creek lines or in low-lying areas, they, they care for the land too. They want to find the solutions to, to solve those problems and manage the land in a sustainable way. And I think that we've seen a real shift in, um, in the culture in the agricultural industry and how to manage your land. And um, maybe that's where I got some of my science passion is, is that I've seen my dad go to these um, farming forums and workshops that they have where they're showing them new technologies, open days, bringing it back to the farm, testing it, refining it for, for our, um, our, our few hectares and um, moving to resolve some of these issues. So it, it is really inspiring. Um, to see positive change happening as well. Thank you. Um, Adam, from a global perspective, what you've heard from our Noongar panel about their spiritual connection to land, I mean, it's extraordinarily powerful. You rarely hear that. The only other group I hear it from are First Nation 
um, and, uh, North Americans. Um, exactly the same discussion. Um, as the International Science Director, the way in which the restoration economy needs to build in the ecological health aspects and the spiritual aspects for, the, for not only the colonisers but also the Indigenous people. What have you learned as, uh, as the roving director? I certainly can't speak on behalf of any of those groups, but honestly, it's a message that is repeated time and time again. Oppression and colonisation, removal from country, exclusion from country, uh, whether it's here in Australia, whether it's in South America, North America, it's, it's a consistent situation that has occurred, unfortunately, over the last thousand to two thousand to more years. And increasingly, there's a real strong, passionate desire that that has to change and it's being driven by those Indigenous groups. Um, they are taking control of the land that is theirs, rightfully becoming the managers and the custodians of that land again, as we're seeing, you know, finally here in Western Australia. Um, and really no longer being forced to be led or, you know, pulled along in a non-meaningful way in, in some of these activities, genuinely leading and guiding and being the leaders in all things restoration, whether that's in seeds and seed collection, whether that's in planning, whether that's in buying whitefellow businesses and managing them in ways that are beneficial to Indigenous communities. Um, I have the great privilege to work for uh, the Mirrawung and Gidja peoples up in the northeast Kimberley with Gelgenium Limited. And really, uh, it's this concept of what can we do that will re-engage our peoples with our country, with our land, that is going to benefit us in the long term and deliver us legacies so that the kids today will have a better future than they've had, that their parents and grandparents have had. Are there any questions from the floor for our panel of scientists? We're a little bit over time, but if there was any particular question. Um, otherwise, what I might do at this stage is uh, ask you to join me in thanking our three panellists. Um, and um, uh, we can certainly engage over drinks and canapes and, of course, a walk through the song lines if you want to catch those people and, and learn a bit more. But um, on behalf of everyone, thank you very much. So that was really a taster of the depth and the complexities that are embedded in the restoration economy. It's no longer just sticking a seed in the ground and walking off. Um, it's about complexity. It's about listening to country. It's about learning about the diversity in that country and learning through Indigenous eyes about the better ways to do that. And at the same time, building that Indigenous capacity. Um, as Curtis Taylor said in 2010, and I think it's very sage, and it's actually sitting on the wall next door, just like the old people, we are dreaming. We're dreaming now of a different future because we have to, and, and in this country. We have a new dream, and that dream is shared with technology. We're using the newest technology with the oldest culture. And I think that partnership, the holding of hands, that shared vision to the future, 
And I'll say, I think the COVID pause, more than anything else, and I see it, I have 170 acres above Waruna. Nobody even knew how to get to my place. Last year, the number of camper vans, tent people, the rest of them, I even had a wedding couple come to me and say, could we get married in your forest? Because people wanted to re-engage with nature. I think we're in a new space. What we want to do is to keep that going and keep it going, holding hands with First Nations and using the best possible science. And I think we've now got the critical mass here and hopefully over the next few months we'll learn whether that critical mass will be realised through the Healing Country bid to the federal government to really grow to the next stage. And as Adam said, in, in five years' time we could hold this event and I think we'll have some stories of extraordinary return of Budja and of the health of that country. So thank you very much. Um, it's been a terrific evening. And can you join me once more in thanking all the panellists from tonight? You've been listening to a live episode of The Future Of, a podcast powered by Curtin University. Leave us a comment wherever you find this episode. We'd love to hear from you. And if you've got something out of today's episode, please rate us. Bye for now.